I am just so excited to be here today. And um, we've been in revival uh, since January, the very first week of January, we started revival with evangelist Nathan Cox. And he has been doing an absolute phenomenal job of following uh, the Holy Ghost to preach to us, and I thank God for it. But I am so excited and feel so honored to be standing in this place this morning to bring the word of the Lord to you. And um, I want to tell you, I've been, uh, this May will be 25 years that uh, my wife and I uh, have been here pastoring. And I want to tell you, it's fresh every single day. I wake up every morning and I feel like I, when I get past fighting all the devils, I get back to the place of praising God and thanking God for the privilege of being able to do this. You feel that way today? You feel like you're privileged to be in the church? Praise God. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, we are in the last days. We are in the last days. And the friction, the friction is intensifying upon people that are taking a stand for truth, for righteousness, for the things of God. And there are many, there are many that are trading the future for the present. There are many that are trading in their future for their present. But I want to tell you something. It's going to be worth it all. When we are walking on a street of gold, when we have our immortal body, come on, somebody, that's what this is about. This is not just about living in the 21st century and being different. This is about having our face set like a flint, realizing there's a heaven to gain and a hell to miss. I'd like to direct your attention this morning to the book of Exodus, chapter number 11. And just great to see everybody. And um, I really, uh, this is going to be starting a series uh, that I will be talking about for the next three services. And, you know, I thought when I, when I started to get some direction, regarding this subject that we're going to talk about today, I thought, you know, this person's not here. These folks are leaving. This family's not here. We've got a bunch of people that are traveling, some folks that are out, some that are sick. Uh, just, It's just life. And I realized there's never going to be a perfect opportunity to just talk about the things that are relevant to our future. Um, but what I am talking about, what I'm going to be talking about for the next three services are definitely going to be addressing the future of Cornerstone, the future of Cornerstone. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, and not too far in the distant future, I believe that we are going to be in a new sanctuary. Now you might say, this one's kind of nice, I'm pretty comfortable here. It ain't big enough. It is not big enough to accommodate the thousands that are sick of Hollywood, that are sick of politics, that are sick of the nonsense of this world, that are looking for reality. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, 
there are some bottom line principles that have to accompany genuine apostolic revival in order to keep your direction your direction on track it is so easy it is so easy to just get a little bit of god and a whole lot of this and before long you're mixing it and you have you have compromised some things you've lost sight of some things it is imperative that at certain junctures uh, some things are rehearsed in our hearing. Exodus chapter number 11. To all of you that are visiting with us, we're delighted you're here. I'm glad you're here. It's just going to be old-fashioned, old-fashioned Bible teaching. Somebody said praise the Lord. Exodus chapter number 11. And we're going to start in verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And afterwards he will let you go hence. Now, this is after a series of plagues in which God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And tell him to let my people go. But every time there would be a plague and a visitation from Moses, Pharaoh would change his mind. We discover in other places in the Bible, listen carefully because this is is chock full of applicable biblical principles. That God hardened his heart. And the reason why God did this is because God was creating a background and a backdrop for the miraculous. Because if you're ever going to take the step into the unknown, you're going to have to be confident that God is able to bring you through. Okay? And so there is a series, frogs and lice and water turned to blood, flies. And now there's a final plague, and it will, it will be the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Verse number two, speak now in the ears of the people. Talking about God's people, the nation of Israel that was in Egypt at this time. And let every man borrow of his neighbor. The interesting thing about that word borrow, we think when we say the word borrow that it includes paying back. That is not what this word means. This word means to demand, to require to ask, to request. Let every man borrow of his neighbor, not from the fellow Jews. And every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. This is talking about God's people borrowing or asking from the Egyptians. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, The man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the peoples. Going over to chapter 12. Verse number 35. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment And the Lord gave the people favor. This is the first time in 430 years that the nation of Israel was able to do this. 
for the first chapter that they were in Egypt, money was absolutely meaningless because there was a famine in the land. So this is the very first time that God gave the nation of Israel favor to where they could request and require valuable sustenance. Verse number 36, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled, they plundered. Now, we don't hear these kind of words. Some of these are old English words. Some of the words in the Bible were translated uh, in 1611, and some of these words have been retired. They robbed. They spoiled the Egyptians. I want to talk to us for a few moments this morning about generational wealth. Generational wealth. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's pray together. Lift our voices like a trumpet. Let's ask God to give us understanding. There's so many that are here among us that are used to receiving sound bites of the Word of God on a Sunday. But I've come to really give you some meat, something something that's going to fortify us and edify us. Let's pray together. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. Pray that you'll open up our understanding. We trust that the Word of God will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in a dark place, in a dark world. We ask that the Word of God will feed and give strength and fortify and edify. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There has never been a time like this. And yet, at the same time, there is a principle that is in operation here that is alive and well in our world today. It is alive and well as a promise and a guarantee to the people of God. And 430 years... An incredible chapter of God's people has been under the shadow of the pyramids. Started out under the auspices of the second highest leader in Egypt, whose name was Joseph. Joseph, of course, if we could go back in his life and see that God had given him a dream God had given him a prophecy, and his father gave him a coat of many colors, so he had a supernatural assurance, and he had a tangible representation of the divine favor of God. Joseph, of course, told his brethren his dream, which may not have been the smartest thing to do was that his brethren at one time in the future would make obeisance unto him. And he told the dream to his father and was soundly rebuked, even though his father kept that word like Mary did. When the angel spoke to her, he kept the word in his heart. 
because he recognized there's something, there's something supernatural to that. I don't want to totally dismiss it. But boy, don't you dare tell me I'm going to bow to you. Hallelujah. And so you know the story how that his brethren dipped his garment in lamb's blood, took it to their father. They put Joseph in a hole, sold him to Egyptian uh, to be sold into Egyptian bondage. They were traders that were on a trunk line that moved, moved through the area on their way to Egypt, and they sold their brother to be taken to Egypt. But they told their father that he had been killed by a, a, a ravening beast. And, of course, his father was in grief, but his brothers were relieved that we have finally got rid of this person that has a prophecy and this person that is divinely favored. And you know the story. Behind the scenes, Joseph is sold to a man by the name of Potiphar, and he served his master well. But he was falsely accused of adultery when Potiphar's wife uh, initiated a relationship with him. and He was cast into a prison, and he was there for many years. Some biblical expositors say he was there for as much as 20 years. And while he was there, the spirit of prophecy continued upon him. I want to tell you that when God gives you a promise, I don't care how bad it looks, God is not going to forsake you. We have a tendency to say, if, if, if God's still with me, how come I have all these problems? Somebody has to go through it so that God can fulfill a greater prophecy. <laughs> 21st century church is so subjectively... Uh, inundated with creature comforts, and we have a tendency to judge our walk with God. It's the basis of all superstition. This is, this is the total foundation of the book of Job, was for God to deal with superstition. The book of Job is the oldest book of the Bible. It's actually, it was written before the book of Genesis was. And it is God's way of absolutely eliminating uh, the spirit of superstition. And you remember Job's friend said uh, that all these things are happening in your life because you've got problems. You're, you're a sinner. You've been doing things, and God has taken it out on you. What those people didn't know is God actually trusted Job. He was actually proving something to the devil. If you're going through hard times, it's not time to stay away from church. It's time to hit your knees and say, I'm going to make the devil a liar. this hour, and there's, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get off track here, there's a lot of rabbit trails, but God is trying to wean the church of the living God off of the falsehood of the American dream. We may have, we may have enjoyed that for several decades, but we are entering into the end time in which God is going to have a witness that although, th although things are happening to the left and things are to the right, I'm going to be like that little widow that states my case in the presence of an unjust judge, and God will vindicate his people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But once again, it's an act of maturity to understand that I don't have to have an ice cream cone and a lollipop to live for God. All I have to know is that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. 
And it can be quite a process to get people to that place. But if you get to that place, don't trade it for the world. Don't trade it for opioids. Don't trade it for television. Don't trade it for Hollywood. Don't trade it. Come on, somebody help me out. You have got the most powerful revelation that is ever given to a mortal. That thou art with me. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so Joseph, he, he interprets the dream of the butler. He interprets the dream of the baker. And then finally, finally, God's got him postured. God's got all the pieces where he wants them. And finally, God gives Pharaoh a dream. If we're not careful, we'll just look at this like some, it's some random Sunday school lesson that is irrelevant. It's entirely relevant. God is moving things around. His father doesn't even know where he is. He thinks he's dead. His brethren don't really know where he is. But God knows where he is. And finally, Joseph is summoned to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, and he does so. That there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And because Pharaoh is now indebted, because God is actually helping him to prepare, he exalts Joseph to second in command, only to allow that same, that same lack of bread and lack of corn to affect the entire known world and to affect his father and to affect his brethren. And it gets so bad they realize there's nowhere for us to go but to Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, they come face to face with their brother. And I'm just going to the end of the story. And when it's finally revealed, Joseph already knew because he had the wisdom of God, the spirit of God on him. And when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brethren, his brethren were in shock. In fact, his brethren thought, we are now, we are done. We're worse than a baked potato in the Sahara Desert. It's over for us. But Joseph said, don't be angry with yourselves. God knew all this was going to happen, and he sent me ahead of you so that you would be taken care of. God is in control. Praise God. And so, Jacob which is Joseph's father, and all of his brethren move into Goshen. And they are, give, they are highly favored because of who Joseph is. And Pharaoh respects him because he loves Joseph. And he is a, he is a trusted confidant to Pharaoh because he knows that God is with this man. And so there are, there are multiplied thousands that are attached to these these brethren that move into Goshen, and they are given great land, but they are told that you need to store up because the years uh, of, 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 of much is right now, but God is going to bring a famine in the land, and we are to give a certain amount of corn. This is a whole lot I can talk about this. A lot of people have never even seen this in the Word of God, but they were required to give one-fifth of all the corn to Pharaoh. A lot of people complain about giving a tenth to God, but Pharaoh required one-fifth of all the corn. And so they knew that we have to storehouse because of the population in Egypt. And for many, many years, many generations, uh, they were able to endure uh, favor from Pharaoh and consecutive Pharaohs. But all of a sudden, 
Joseph passed away. Jacob passed away. The brethren passed away. And a Pharaoh rose that knew not God and knew not Joseph. He said, these people are mightier than us, than we are. And lest an enemy come upon us and cause them to take sides, we need to do something now. And so at one time they were highly favored of God, but now they are brought into slavery. You are well aware of the story that now they are feeling the lash of the whip and they are not given straw to make brick. They have to gather their own straw and there can be no reduction of production. It was bondage. It was torment. It was hot. It was, it was sweaty. It was tormentous. In fact, in the book of Exodus chapter number one, the Egyptians at the highest pinnacles of power realized that if we're going to slow down the birth rate, we're going to have to kill all the baby boys. And so they enlisted the midwives, the Jewish midwives, and said, when it's a baby boy, you're to turn him over to us or just go and throw him in the Nile so the crocodiles can get him. The worst thing you can do when things start heating up is decide with the enemy. Because the Bible said that the midwives said, we are not going to obey Pharaoh. We're going to go ahead and do the will of God. And the Bible said, as the Egyptians afflicted them more, the greater was their revival. You can handle a lot more pressure than you think you can. You can handle a lot more from a trial and tribulation than you think you can. And when God turns up the heat, God is going to promote you. God is going to anoint you. God is going to empower you. And God will bless you. Clap your hands and give him praise. And so our story actually is at the tail end of this 430 years. But to show you the relevancy of prophecy and how things are connected, we have to go back to Genesis chapter number 15. And the reason why we're going back to Genesis chapter 15 is because the very first man that left with a promise from God is described in Genesis chapter number 15, God giving a revelation to Abraham. And he begins in verse number 12. The Bible says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto him, God spoke unto Abram and said, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. This is God many, many years before the nation of Israel moved into Egypt. God was giving Abraham, the patriarch, the father of the faithful, the first man to leave on a promise from God and journey into the unknown, the very first human being ever to do that. And God is giving him a prophecy that your seed is going to be in a land that is not theirs. They are going to be there for 400 years. And it continues on. Verse number uh, 13, I'm sorry, 14 and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward, 
shall they come out with great substance. Now there are some there are some alarming realities about all of this. We're starting to get more where this becomes instead of a singular view about a problem that exists in Egypt, we are now starting to get glimpses of a panorama. And the panorama in the past includes the fact that Abraham was told that all of this is going to operate on a promise and a prophecy from God. God has a purpose for this. He has a purpose for allowing Abraham's seed. He didn't even have any children at this point. But he was telling him that your children are going to go into a land they're going, to be, they're going to be dominated with rigor. They're going to serve under affliction. But they will come out with great substance. They are going to come out with great substance. And so when we look at our text, we understand that there is a huge history that has already taken place to bring us to this place. You know, I feel so at home just doing a little Bible study today because our culture, even the, the quote-unquote uh, postmodern contemporary Christian culture, is trying to learn to cope in the 21st century with some little denominational scripture as a soundbite in which you're supposed to hang your, your supernatural hat on and feel good about. I want to tell you that the Word of God is for today. 66 books. Not just a verse. I want to tell you, we are to know the Word of God. We are to study the Word of God. We are to speak the Word of God. We are to live the Word of God. I'm thankful for the Word of God. All right, preacher, I'm listening to you. Say something I can understand. I'm trying. First revelation is this, is that everything has a reason. Everything has a purpose. Nothing is disconnected or unconnected in your life except the stupid things that you do and I do. And don't blame those things on God. And don't blame those things on the devil. But there are things that happen that are putting together a greater mosaic to exalt the purposes of God. And when you become a willing patron to that, you come under what the Bible calls divine favor. You come under what the Bible calls a recipient of blessing. And I want to tell you, from the very beginning of time, God revealed himself as a blessor. God would rather bless you than judge you. Let's clap our hands and give him praise for that. God did not bring you here to hurt you. God did not bring you here to condemn you. God did not bring you here to put you down. God came here to exalt you. You are made in the image of God. And God came here to bless you. 
So the nation of Israel's in Egypt. Egypt has devised a wicked plan to not only stop the population growth, but to use them to build cities, to, to, to strap a saddle on them, if you please. We're going to let them be the garbage collector. We're going to let them do all the hard labor of putting limestone blocks into place and building entire cities. And they put the whip on their back. If there was the cry of a baby in any dwelling, there was a reward that was given that if you hear the cry of a baby so that we can investigate and find out what is the gender of that baby. So it was, it was a hard time. It was a, it was a dangerous time. It was a perilous time in which God's people were not free, but they were in this particular situation by the glory and the promise and the prophecy of God. And so the very last plague is now to happen. And God's people are to take a lamb and they are to eat the flesh and apply the blood to the doorpost of their dwelling because the last plague is about to take place when the death angel passes through. And where there was blood on the doorpost, the death angel passed over. This is the basis of what the Jews still celebrate to this day when they talk about celebrating the Passover. It is a recognizing of the very last plague in Egypt when the death angel passed over our house because we had blood on the, do you have blood on the doorpost of your life? Do you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a Sunday school fodder. This is the word of God. And so, right before all of this was to take place, they were told that you need to go and borrow. I've already told you what that word means, and it literally means to spoil, to plunder. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 3, the nation of Israel has already complained and whined and cried unto their God. And God is already giving purpose to this when he says in Exodus 3, in Verse number 21, he said, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass when you go, you shall not go empty. When you come out of this place, they might have taken away everything you've got, taken away your liberty, taken away your freedom, taken away your ability to raise a family. But look at verse number 22. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. And her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. Stick with me. And you shall put them upon your sons. And put them upon your daughters. And you shall spoil the Egyptians. I can just see this. This could never happen under any other type of a situation. Knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, um, I want you to give me all your good stuff. 
under any kind of stipulation, any other time, an Egyptian would have reached for a sword or a dagger or a whip or a rock and said, you filthy Hebrews, get off my doorstep. Take this, whack. Take that, whack. But not today. Today, God is giving his people favor. And so there's a knock on the door. The door is open. It says, well, how you doing, neighbor? And a woman's standing there with her three or four older children. They have to be older. And you will, um, and I would like all your gold. I would like silver. I would like purple. I would like raiment. I would like all your fancy clothing. I would like everything you've got that looks good to your eye. Everything in your house that's nice, I'm asking you to give it to me right now. And it was just like, all right, we'll do it. Come on in. And I can see the woman saying, I'll take this, I'll take that, I'll take this. And start now she's giving it to the kids. You know, I can't carry anymore. Here, you take this. Put that around your neck. Put that around your wrist. You ain't going to keep that, but put that around your wrist. Put that on your finger. Put that on your finger. Come on, take that, take that, put that on. I want to tell you, when God does the miraculous, he's going to include your children. We got too many parents saying, well, I got my little blessing and that's all I want. No, 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 no. You've left out God's. God is going to use your children to take the blessing. Come on, somebody, clap your hand and give him praise. In an apostolic church, we are not leaving any children behind. We are not leaving. Come on, somebody. If they're wandering around in that world, we will not stop praying. We will not stop fasting. We will not stop believing. Oh, clap your hands and give him praise. Hallelujah. The children that are raised in Cornerstone, and there's some that have, that have, that have lost their way. They just... They just have lost their focus, started listening and looking and touching and tasting things. But I'm believing God they're going to be back. They are never going to believe. They're never going to forget what that prayer room sounds like. They are never going to forget these altar calls that we have in this church. They are never going to forget how we celebrate somebody going down in the name above every name. They are never going to forget the power of the Holy Ghost that was in that building. They are never going to forget. And I'm telling you, that's greater than a ball game. It's greater than a rock concert. It's greater than anything in this world. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph and give God the praise. I can see this in my mind's eye. I can see these children coming out of this house where you can barely see this little face because there's a purple garment and there's a necklace and there's jewels and there's gold and there's silver. And they're just under the weight of this. They're just staggering back to their humble abode before the time of the Passover. All right, you guys, come on. 
Don't drop any. Watch, watch what you're doing. No, that's valuable. I've never even had one of those things, but it's mine now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Keep up before they change their mind. Keep up before they change the locks. Keep up before they tell the Pharaoh. Keep up before. The smartest thing you can do is bring your children to a church where the power of the Holy Ghost is in control. Well, it's. I don't know if I can go to a church like that. They don't have a Christian rock band. Honey, we got something better than a Christian rock band. We believe in the power and the demonstration of the almighty God. When you see an alcoholic that shakes like a leaf on a tree when they've been delivered from alcohol, your children need to see that. When they see a drug addict run the aisles with a shout unto God, they need to see that. When they see people that had broken lives, somebody help me out right now. You want your children to worship, you worship. You want your children to value this, you value this. This world is not our home. Get happy about the next one. You want your kids to get happy about going to heaven? When you're sitting around the house, you talk about going to heaven. You talk about how good church was. You talk about what God's doing in the altar, what God's doing in the prayer room, what God's doing in the coffee shop. That was pretty weak. I believe God's in that coffee shop. I don't believe God's in the coffee. I believe God's in the coffee shop. Now, if I was to tell you God is in the coffee, you need to hit the door and not come back here. Brother Dalen Sargent is getting ready to, to start roasting his own coffee line. And he can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why not? And he asked me, he said, Pastor, I am going to come up with your own signature blend. And he says, but I need you to name it. I said, that's easy. Isle Runner. <laughs> Honey, when you drink this stuff, you won't fall asleep. You'll be saying, Pastor, I'm wide awake. Praise God. Praise God. I'm pretty excited about having my own coffee line. The Bible says in Exodus 12 and 36, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now, why is this important? Number one, it's because it's a fulfillment of prophecy that God spoke to Abram. Number two, this was an opportunity in the midst of the greatest deliverance in the history of the Word of God. This was to be the scriptural spinal column 
for everything else that happened in the history of the nation of Israel is based on this right here. This was something that was had a history before, and it will be told to consecutive generations afterwards about what God did in Egypt. Stick with me. I'm getting ready to come to my punchline. The nation of Israel was lucky to get leeks, onions, and garlic. They had totally become inundated with the dietary disciplines of Egypt. They had totally been infused into that culture. They were the ghetto folks from Goshen. Reduced to rags and tattered hemlines. It was the very first opportunity for God's people, Brother Gamboa, to experience wealth. See, God's going to give you that job. God's going to see what you're going to do with that money. Because, see, if you can't pay your tithes on 50, you sure ain't going to do it on 5,000. Can I get some moms and dads to help the pastor out tonight, today? See, Pharaoh required a fifth. God said, I ain't asking for that. Law of the first fruits was established before we even got out of past Genesis chapter 5. Even Cain and Abel knew that God was worthy of the first fruits. But the very first generation of wealth. They had to believe God over their memory, over their emotions, over their feelings, over their thought life. There's people in this building. You know what your biggest enemy? Your biggest enemy is your thought life. Your thought life is what is controlling you. And until you get a prayer life, that starts dominating your thought life. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help you. Casting down imagination and every high thing. You're on remote control from the spirit world. You don't even know what it is. You think it's you. It ain't you. It's a spirit saying, I'm going to rob you a blessing. I'm going to rob you of what he's preaching today. I'm going to rob you from every good thing. Pastor, what are you talking about? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says, a good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. God said, Moses, I want you to tell the people to go to their next door neighbor 
They can go to the neighbor after that if they want. They can go to the neighbor across the street if they want. They can go to the neighbor down the street. But I'm going to give them a momentary period of time in which they have absolute carte blanche favor. Brother Mike Whitmire, that is your name, isn't it? I'm just playing with you. I shouldn't do that, but hallelujah. Why not? The only people that got wealthy were the ones that could overcome their bitterness against the people that killed their sons. The only people that got wealthy were the people that could overcome their bitterness for Egypt. No, 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 no. You had some people that drink lemonade for breakfast for centuries. No, they heard my son cry several years ago. We did our best to hide our baby. And because of my next door neighbor, they come and took my child. No. No. If I get a chance, I'm going to try to kill one. But I'm I'm not going to do that. The only people that experienced wealth were people that said, if God said it. If the pastor said it. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help people here today. You got to understand this is a church that lives on this stuff. These are principles that still work today. In fact, we're getting ready to take up an offering for a building, and it's got to come from somebody. I can see some families saying, this is too good to be true. I could hate until I'm six feet under. I could, I'm so bitter I could taste I could taste the bitterness in my mouth from how bitter I am. The lash of the whip. He lives right down the street. He's called me hateful names. He's beaten me with a whip. They took my baby son. And God's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity, a small space in time. That you can plunder, you can rob, you can go in and say, I want that, I want that, I want that, I'm that, I can't take any more. Here, you take that, take that one, take that, take that, take that, take that. We're taking everything, we're taking everything. Clap your hands and give God the praise. brings them out. He brings them out between two and three million people strong. Some have got more Rolex watches on than they got arms. Headbands, necklaces. They're coming out looking like, man, we are the, we are the richest people on earth. 
God brings them through the Red Sea. God takes them to the base of Sinai. And God tells Moses, tomorrow, tell the people to wash their clothes. We're going to have a little meeting. We're going to have a powwow. Moses looked at the people and said, wash your clothes. Go to, I'm going to go up to the mountain, talk to God. We're going to go right to the edge of the mountain. You are not to touch it. You are not to, you're not to have, you're not to have one of your animals touch it, one of your children. Nobody touches the mountain. And the next day, the nation of Israel, two to three million strong, is there. And God descends on this mountain with thunder and lightning and a demonstration that would blow your sandals off. Moses goes up for 40 days. He comes down. Says, all right. You saw how powerful God is. He's not only powerful in Egypt. God wants you to know how powerful he is out here. But God has told me that he's only going to continue to go with us if he has a dwelling place. Y'all still awake out there? Still with me? I've only been preaching 30 minutes for you clock watchers. I know it's daylight savings time, but, man, I'm loving this daylight. I am. Is anybody else sick of snow? Man, I am ready for anything. Rain, fog, anything. Start praying. <laughs> anything but snow. So there's some people out there that are now wealthy because they obeyed Moses, who in turn was obeying God. And the Bible says in Exodus 25, if you would please go there, Brother Clark, so that all of my friends can see that. Starting verse 1, we're going to read verse 1 through 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, badger skins, shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Which means, if you don't build this, God's not there. According to all that I will show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. It was to be a free will offering. Okay. Okay, now the pastor's talking about money. You're, don't disconnect all this. God allowed them to get all that stuff into Egypt because God had an intended purpose for that. Honey, you remember that gold that I gave you in that Egyptian house? Yeah, Mama. Well, I'm on, I want you to. We're, we're, we've decided we're gonna we're gonna obey the man of God. 
We're going to obey the man of God. And we want, we are going to build God a tabernacle. We're going to build God a house so that he will dwell with us. And so now the children are understanding the value of actually building the house of God. It's not just mom and dad that are saying, you know what, we're going to give a free will offering. We're going to go ahead and give unto God. But they're saying, you know what, honey, remember that silver? You remember that garment? Listen, why don't you, why, why don't we pray about it together as a family? And we're going to give a willing offering uh, to God. And the children came. And the parents came. And everybody came. And they gave so much. They said, stop. We got too much. Stop. We got enough. Every single bit of it. The rest of it is yours for consecutive generations. Clap your hands and give him praise. Come on, let's really clap our hands and give him praise. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, God, for the privilege. Moses said, it is enough. The residual became the basis of the first generation of wealth that existed. So they not only had to overcome their bitterness and their hatred of the Egyptians, they had to have a willing and a giving heart. And God said, everything else now belongs to you. But there were people, there were poor. Jesus said, the poor you have always with you. There were some people who said, I don't have anything. I have no hope. I have no future. Here's the thing. God said, I don't want you to have anything. I don't want you to have anything. Why? Because God is not going to give you anything. The Bible is, if you're not willing to go through the raw product, the corn is going to be eaten up. This is why we had Brother Abby last month talk about Christian giving because credit card debt is robbing God's people from an opportunity. You shouldn't be giving to your children your debt. You should be giving your children what's left over from all of us building the house of God and building a habitation for his glory and building an everlasting place for his presence. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. I am so sick and tired with cultural inundated church. It's time to get back to the word. It's time to get back to line upon line. It's time to get back to the promises of the word of God. Somebody over there, clap your hands and give God the praise. nice building. If you were in the previous previous building on Broadway and you can remember the process of bringing to where we are today, I'd like you to stand. Real quick. I'd like the rest of this congregation to give them a hand clap of appreciation. I wonder what would happen if we had a bigger building. I wonder how much. You're always going to have people say, well, where we're at is enough. No, I've heard from God. It's time to prepare now. It's time. 
It's time to follow Moses and say, God will give us the promise. Clap your hands and give him praise. You may be seated. Most people think the pastor paid for this. The pastor paid for this building. Or some people don't even ask, how did you guys get here? How did, how, did, how, did this, how did this building get here? We bought this building for $1.9 million. It's now valued right under $5 million. How did, is the pastor real smart? Is the pastor good with numbers? Is the pastor good with the calculator? Pastor's none of that stuff. The pastor obeys God. I came here by obeying God. I put my shoulder to the wheel by obeying God. I dug a well by obeying God. There were other people that tasted that well that obeyed God. And today we got momentum. Today we got direction. Today we're headed somewhere. There are hundreds that are not in this building that God intends to take to heaven. Clap your hands and give him praise. is the responsibility of the few to accept the responsibility for the many. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't be afraid. We are not taking an offering today. But I wanted to explain to you how all this works. You see, when God calls a man out of darkness, man, I'm not Pentecostal. I couldn't even spell the word when I got saved. I didn't know where to put the T, where to put the E, where to put the R. Oh, that's a different word. I didn't know. Here's the deal. When God calls a man out, God already has a purpose for that man. See, there's too many people that are living a life for God that are just saying, I'm going to go ahead and be what I want to be and do what I want to do, and I'll just ask God to forgive me. The problem with that, you're going to miss God's best. The person that wants God best, according to Romans chapter 12, that he will know you've got to renew your mind and say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Yes, God would forgive me, but that's going to keep me from God's best. Yes, God will forgive me from that sin. Yes, God will forgive me from that. But no, I'm going to renew my mind that I may know the perfect will of God. Somebody clap your hands. Uh, Somebody give him praise. I don't want to just live a life that's just all full of scars and bruises. Yes, God will forgive me. But you're going to miss the greatest calling. You're going to miss robbing the storehouse. You're going to miss robbing Egypt. Let's lift our hands. Coming down the home stretch. Almost done. Let's, Let's lift our hands and talk to God right now. All of us in this building today have an incredible opportunity to have our names memorialized as be the people that sacrificed to give others a place where they could find eternal life and find God and be blessed. Bible says in the book of Hebrews, 
chapter number 13, to obey them that have the rule over thee. That when they give an account for your soul, they may do it with joy and not grief. When God says, Pastor Mayo, you started with zero, you were able to take that through five different regimes of five buildings. And a guy like Ben Roberts steps up. I'm going to say, oh, God, we would have never had that without that man. And God says, I know I saw it. Oh, come on, somebody. We don't want this because we're already calculating. No, it's time. You guys still got time to put your shoulder to the wheel and say, God, I might have made mistakes in the past, but I'm not missing my opportunity. I'm going to spoil the Egyptians, and I'm going to build the house of God. And I'm doing this for my children. I'm doing it for my children's children. See, when you, when you provide for a church, you're not just providing for yourself. But we got kids here. They don't even know the value of a dollar yet. Well, maybe they do. I shouldn't stare at people when I preach because I have to apologize after service. You know, I wasn't really talking to you. I was thinking about this other person, but I was looking at you, and you thought I was talking about you, and I'm not talking about you. So maybe I should just preach like this. No, I love everybody. I love this church. I love what I'm doing. I love God. I can hardly stand still thinking about what God is going to do. I'm looking around this building, and on a good day, we're well over 400. I can only believe if we had a bigger building where we can start feeding the city, that God is going to pull down the playhouse of the devil and rob the enemy of every good thing. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Come on, clap your hands and give him praise. I'm thankful for a church. I'm thankful for a prayer room. I'm thankful for the good things of God. I'm thankful for the things of God. Well, how did this church get here? Church in a day. Honey, trust me. This ain't a church in a day. This is a church in 25 years. This, this principle that I am preaching here became the basis with how every house of God was built. Every time David won a war, take the spoil. Save it for the house of God. Every time David with the Philistines, take the spoil. And save it for the house of God. Every time David won a war, save the spoil. Because the house of God must be exceedingly magnificent. Clap your hands and give God the praise. The spoil is not so I can drive the fanciest car in the world. It's not so I can have a brand new suit. It's so we can provide our culture with the house of the living God. Clap your hands and give him praise. Stand to your feet and give him praise. Come on, let's really praise him. Every spiritual war that you win, God's saying, put it back in the house. Put it back in the house. That the house of God may be exceeding magnificent. 
if you would have told me, Brother Sergio, if you would have told me 25 years ago that I'd be pastoring a church with all these beautiful, godly, sincere people in a magnificent structure like this, I could not have believed it. But Brother Seymour, God in his wisdom, he let me start with 700 square feet. Where's Aaron Mayo? We have five daughter works, if you include Missoula, and we're looking at starting a six in Kellogg, Idaho this summer. I didn't come to play no games. Every single one of our daughter works has a nicer facility than what Cornerstone started with. My son-in-law and my daughter just bought their first church. Brother Jesse Gamboa is busting at the seams, pastoring a much better facility than what we started. What I'm saying, if they're starting with that, and that's what it's like in Egypt, I can hardly wait to see as the blessings of God flow, and the congregation gets bigger, and the promises of God. Everybody clap your hands and give him praise. The attrition rate among home missionaries is 7 out of 10. But if it comes out of a church, it's already done it. You can't just start a home missions church and say, well, we see a need. That you almost guaranteed to fail. Burden can never stand alone. you got to have calling. And once you're called and it's fused with burden, God already sees the second building, the third building, the fourth building, the fifth building. God's working on hundreds of people in Spokane, Washington today as we're here in this place. And he intends on making them a part of his church. There are people that are tattooed from head to toe that God's going to bring into this church. There's people that are struggling with homosexuality and gender identity that God's going to bring in the church. Move over and make room for an accurate rendering of the 21st century. Somebody clap your hands. I don't care what your background is. God is big enough. God is powerful enough. God's going to bring him from the north, and God's going to bring him from the east, and God's going to bring him from the west. Clap your hands and lift your voice. Every time David beat the enemy, whether it was taking a crown off the king's head, or completely plummeting the place of their treasury. He said, not one dime of that will go to me. That's going for the house of God. And I won't even get to build it. This is for my children. This is for my son. Generational wealth is not what you have. It's what we lay up in the spirit for those that are coming behind us. Let's lift our hands all over this building. I'm done preaching, but I feel like the Holy Ghost is talking to people. Well, Pastor, we had we had plans for that for that uh, 
you know, my tax return. And I had plans for that. I, I, I'm not telling you what to do with anything here today. I'm just trying to show you in the word of God that I wouldn't be breathing without God. I would, you know, occupation, I wouldn't have health without God. I wouldn't have know-how without God. I wouldn't have ability without God. I wouldn't have anointing without God. I wouldn't have salvation without God. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. I'm going to lay this up for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. I know this is a little different today. I know it's a little different today. Our government and our culture has produced people that come to expect to receive We go to the restaurant, we're expected to give a tip. We buy a house, we got to pay every single mouth some kind of a tax or a fee. We come to the house of God, we never even consider that this thing just didn't get here on its own accord and its own purpose and power. God started with an Abraham. God allowed many years of fighting devils. There were many days my wife and I didn't even know how we were going to make the building payment. God came through every time. We were never late on a building payment. We were never late on a light payment. We were never late on an electric payment. We were never late on a house payment because of God and the faithfulness of God's people. I really intended to do this in January, but revival got so good, and Brother Cox is preaching so good. But Brother Cox ain't here. And while he's not here, it's time for the pastor to get his toolbox out and tighten the screw down a little bit, adjust this a little bit, and then turn that governor all the way up. And let this thing roll for Jesus. Come on, somebody. You're not experiencing the blessings you know you could be. Tell your flesh to sit down and be quiet. It's time to let God be God. We've only got a few days left on earth. Let's go ahead and spoil the devil's playground. Clap your hands and give him praise. There's people I want to see saved. There's people I got to give Bible studies to. There's people I got to witness to them. There's people we got to pull out of the fire. God told Moses, you're not just going to go down there and take an offering. No, 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 no. It's got to have the right motive. If I'm going to live in it, if I'm going to meet with humanity in it, if I'm going to forgive the sins of my people in it, if I'm going to dwell in the midst of my people, it's got to be with the right motive, with the right attitude. And so you go and you ask for a free will offering. And so this afternoon, at this important juncture, I wonder 
if there's somebody that wants that kind of a spirit. That will go. When God told my wife and I to go, he never told us what we was going to get. God never tells you what you're going to get, Brother Oswald. Pastor and Sister Oswald. No, you don't understand. Pastor and Sister Oswald. This is God's man. Where to get saved? Thank your neighbor. Where to hear the truth? Thank your neighbor. Where did he hear the re- revelation of Jesus' name? How many more people are floating around out there that God really intends to bring them here so we can help them get squared away and they can go ahead and be used to God? How many people do you think? We're processors. We're inspectors. I'm looking for fruit today. I'm checking your fruit out, Brother Porter. I am only having fun. The worst thing in the world you need is some pastor that's going to be an inspector. I didn't come to inspect. I came to be used to God to connect you with God so that you could be used to God. That's really what you want. You're basing this totally on people that misused authority in your past. Just look around. Churches that control do not start daughter works in the same city that they're in. But I've already understood, Brother Mike Whitmire, I can't reach 500,000 people. And if God keeps bringing them in, we'll just keep adding churches. This is not, somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. God, I want that kind of a spirit. I want a willing spirit. God loveth a cheerful giver. God doesn't love a giver. God doesn't love somebody that sacrifices. God loves a cheerful giver. And so today, for the next several moments, Pastor, aren't we going to have a powerful altar call? We've had more powerful altar calls. I am wore out by powerful altar calls. I am telling you, I went to my wife a couple weeks ago. I said, honey, I shouldn't say this, but because I was raised in a very powerful church. And I said, honey, I think we're starting to have church like the church I was raised in. She looked at me, almost rolled her eyes. She said, honey, we're way beyond that. But it's probably healthy that I think that because I don't think I'm ever going to catch the people that brought me into this. That's probably healthy. We have had altar calls that have taken us into the fourth dimension on a regular basis in this church. But regardless of what level our altar call are, there are always going to be people that are carnal. There's always going to be people that need prayer. There's always going to be people that, that are just, they're just bored. They're not bad people, but they didn't pray. They don't, they're not in tune. They're, not, they're out of sorts. That's okay. Maybe next week you will be. But I wonder if there's somebody not going to take an offering. Not going to make you do anything. But I wonder if there's somebody that recognizes everything I've got. He saved me from a drunk driving accident there. That could have been me. And I should have been that one that hit that tree. And I should have been shot. I was in that drug deal. And God preserved me for that. Everybody else didn't make it, but I walked out of that. And I wonder, I wonder. 
if you want that to be you. I'm asking you to just come and stand in the front. We're going to pray here in a few minutes. and Then we're going to go eat. If you're like that group of people that came out of Egypt and say, everything I've got, it was because of God. I could have never walked up there and done that on my own. I want you to come and stand in this altar. I'm just going to pray. Go ahead and get your education. But it was God that gave you a sound mind. Let's just lift our hands all over this building. Let's lift our voices. God, I'm asking, by the authority of the Word of God in the name of Jesus Christ, that you'll pour out something spectacular. Children that they've been praying for for years. I pray that they're caught up in this, the glow of an end-time move of the Almighty God. Maybe they, maybe they have it a bar and a den of iniquity, but on this night, there's an angel that says, no, you got to get out of this. you got to get some blood on the doorpost. you got to come out. We're going. We're leaving. We're taking off. We're coming out. Come on, lift your voice with me and pray. God, I want that willing spirit. I want that willing heart. I want that thankful spirit.